This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Mary Goulet. Richie Ote, what's up, baby? What's going on? Alrighty, Whiteway's holding down the studio. Kelly's got under control back at headquarters, and we are hanging here on finally a lovely sunny day in San Diego. I thought for a minute I moved to. I thought I thought I literally thought I moved to Seattle. Like I don't know what happened there, but we. I just saw a um, uh, a weather dude. By the way, there's there's an awesome weather dude here. A weather dude, Sean weather Styles. Dude. No, Mark Mathis. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. That fun. guy is fine. So he was in straight up like a pimp suit yesterday. You got to check out KUSI. Ooh, okay, that's, like, that's a San Diego thing. And uh, anyway, he was, uh, man, he was just straight pimped out yesterday in a blue pinstripe suit, like a thick pinstripe suit. And he always does his little shimmy with his shoulders and whatnot. He gets super excited about the weather. <laughs> uh, forget about weather girls, ladies and gents. Just check out Mark Matt. Like that, that's the guy right All there. All right, I will. Um, but anyway, he was saying that there was um, so far during this particular season, I guess there's over nine inches of rain in, in our area, which is like twice or almost, um, almost 130%, I think, more than what we normally have. So anyway, uh, the drought is over, so now I just run the water. Just I just, just, turn, to, I just turn the faucet on yeah, now just sure. because I can. So it's like I won't get yelled at anymore for just running the water incessantly. Although I do still yell at my kids, actually, because they are notoriously bad at running the, just the showers. I don't know where they got that from. Can you imagine just taking like 30 minute showers? Where did they get that from? I'm going to have to beat So those you don't care about more. running the water. It's not the water that's a concern, it's the bill. Exactly. That's the concern. <laughs> it is. It's totally the bill. But I uh but I will tell you that it's it's lovely to have the sun out here in San Diego. My mood is certainly lightened up when uh, when the sun is out here. And uh and I will tell you that it's been a pretty dreary couple of months. Like December and January have been really dreary here and cold. So I thought yeah. I moved to Seattle. So talk about so it's, why are you talking about the rain, Steve? Why are you talking about, because we're talking about reinventing core expectations today. Oh. And my core expectation, and see, you see how that all works together? Yeah, you that, get that? See, you know there's like it's going to tie together somehow. So my, my core expectation around moving to San Diego was 70 and sunny. That, that's, what I, that's what I sold myself on for that bill and goods, like 70 and sunny every day. On average, every it's day. still 70 and sunny. And on average, <laughs> and, and, and this I, little time period definitely was wet and cold. Mm-hmm. And I sold the wife on, you know, look, it's not that hot. It's, you know, you'll be okay here. And of course, there's been like crazy hot summers, but, but she's been thrilled because she loves the weather when there is weather. And last, actually, last week when we were on the show here, we were doing an interview mm-hmm. with uh, Frank Shamrock on our other show, Beyond Eight Figures. And he was talking about uh, how they had sold out of Strike Force, which is one of their uh, one of one of his endeavors. And like this huge lightning strike hit, like I don't know, within seconds of him saying that. It was and, funny. and like there is never lightning here. And then a big rolling thunder that was very surprising. Did you see yeah. the double rainbow? No. Where was that? Oh, I'll show you guys a picture. There is a. You, you, you'd think it was. Did you see it or did you actually just find a picture of it? And so you no, took the picture. I took a picture Ooh. and then my neighbors took pictures because it's a double rainbow over my house. Oh, wow. 
What does that mean? You got two pots of gold coming. I do. You do. That's so I cool. I should probably go look for them. Right? So anyway, the uh, so the wife's expectations were 70 and sunny here every day. Now, we've exceeded her expectations over the last couple of months because coming from Chicago, she just loves the, you know, the, the, the cold and the change of seasons and the rain and the thunderstorms and all that. And so she's been loving it over the last couple of months. So her expectations have been exceeded. Let's uh, let's talk to Art Wade about um, his expectations and all of that fun stuff because we got Art Costello joining us here on the show. Art, how you doing, buddy? Great. How are you doing, Steve? Oh man, really good. Uh, all right, so I want to talk uh, a little bit about what actually a core. Oh, look at that double rainbow! You do have a beautiful picture of that. That's gorgeous, Mary. We're gonna have to figure out how to post that on reinventionradio.com. We'll have to send that one to Kelly. Like Kelly, post that on reinventionradio.com. That's beautiful there. All right, so back art, to art. Sorry yeah, about that, Art. Back to Art. Art, <laughs> what is going on, man? You are, are you are, are you in the witness protection program? You kind of sound like you're coming uh, from one of those the, one of those tunnels down under. Are we are we okay? Everything good? Everything's good over here in Austin, Texas. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure you're good. So you're alive and well, hanging out in Austin, Texas with us. And you've got a pretty storied career, man. And I want to go into uh, a lot of that discussion there. But just just so that I'm clear and so our, our listeners are clear here, what what exactly do you mean? Because you want to name the show here Reinventing Core Expectations. And, of course, we wanted to share your your story and uh, everything that you're up to now. But what what does that mean? Core expectations are are the most inner part of us that drive us forward. It can be uh, it can be anything as as far as wealth. It could be as health. I mean, there's a lot of different core expectations that we have, and we have many. But it's the things that are really near and dear to our heart that propel us to take action. That's that's what core expectations are. Gotcha, gotcha. So. How does this play into what you've been up to over the last however many years? I mean, because if we go back far enough, you you actually served in Vietnam, correct? Correct, as a Marine. As a Marine, wow. So um, did you know going into high school? And, and so, I mean, did, did you, like, are you a military guy? No, I didn't grow up in the military. What, how I joined the Marine Corps was an escape from the environment I was in. Because when I was nine, I was kind of abandoned, uh, left to my own devices, and had to figure life out. So in doing so, wait, 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 only... wait, you can't hold on. You can't, you can't just gloss over like when I was nine, I was kind of abandoned. Like first of all, you either are abandoned or you're not. And second of all, like what does that mean? You were kind of abandoned at nine. I was left with parents, but parents that had no uh, influence on my life. They didn't uh, put any expectations on their children. They didn't put any demands on their children. Uh, we just didn't. We just existed. And we had moved from a very urban area to a very rural area where our nearest neighbors were four miles away and they were in their 90s. So I had no one to play with, and I had always played baseball up to this point. I mean, it was it was in my blood. Uh, so when I got to this small rural farm and town, there was no one to play baseball with, and I was just left out. My sister and I actually were left out at this farm in the middle of nowhere, having to fend up for ourselves because my mom had to go into work in the city were about 30 miles away. And my dad went a hundred miles away to work and only came home one or two days a week. Mm. So 
that's what I call being abandoned because I had feelings of abandonment. Yeah. And what I did to overcome it was I used to go to this hilltop and lay on my back and have this conversation with God in the universe about what was going to become of me. And I heard a voice inside of me that just said, just got to get through it, just got to do, just keep doing what's right, just keep going at it. You'll figure it out. And over time and many trips up that hill, I did figure it out. And I, my route out of that small rural town was to go into the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And that's how I ended up in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so no no one, though, that you knew had a military background. So to go straight from no military at all and go, I mean, that's, that's like diving into the deep end, right? Going into the Marine Corps. I mean, that, that, that was a, that's a pretty big leap there, man. And, and, and I just want to know, how did you choose the Marines? Like, if you didn't have any military, like, I'm always curious about that. Like, if you didn't have any military family, you know, sometimes if you got like, oh, we're, we're army people, like, you know, we just all, all our generations go into the, like, how did you choose the Marines out of all the different branches? Do you read minds? Uh, do I say it again? Read minds. Um, I, I would say sometimes I have intuitive hits, and oftentimes I will go with my gut because I've learned from Mary how to do that. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I do. I will say this, and this is like a really strange thing. Have you ever experienced this, like Richie or Mary or Art or Wade? Have you guys ever experienced this where like you haven't talked to somebody for a while? And then, like, you would literally just think of them and then be, like, in your mind, like, hey, dude, like, call me or something or text me or something like that. And then they do that, like, within, like, a day or something. Do you? Yeah, do you, that happens to me all the time. It does? Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, so me I'm, too. So I'm not alone in that. All right, so I, that's the closest <laughs> I would think I come to to reading minds art in terms of, like, I can do something like that. And for whatever reason, it kind of projects something out and then people respond. So anyway, yeah. There you have it. It's just a, it's a really interesting story how I ended up in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Because you know how the recruiters come to the high schools and recruit kids. Yeah. At right. least in the in the early '60s, that's what they did. Sure. And uh, uh, the Air Force recruiter came and recruited me, and uh, the town where you had to go sign up was uh, about 15, 20 miles away. So I had went down to the Air Force recruiting office to finish up my paperwork. And as I'm walking out of there, the Marine Corps recruiter is coming out of his office and he said, aren't you Costello? And I said, yeah. And he said, you're Marty's brother? And I said, yeah. And he said, what are you doing in in the Air Force recruiter's office? And I said, I just enlisted in the uh, in the Air Force. He said, you what? And then he started laying into me about I needed to be a man. I had to. He just hit me mm. and how how the Marine Corps would build men and be tough and all that. And I actually was guaranteed, and this is 1964, computers in the Air Force. Wow. They had tested me and everything. And the Marine Corps guaranteed me nothing except a hard time. And probably that he hit me in the thing that I needed most. And that was I heard structure. Mm-hmm. The Marine Corps was going to give me structure, and that structure really has stayed with me all my life. Uh, I'm fastidious about the things that I do, and it was created by the Marine Corps because up to that point in my life, I had no structure. Yeah. I mean, I could do I could do anything I wanted from the time I was nine 
till the time I was 17. There was no structure in my life. And, and I did. I did a lot of stuff that most kids don't do. But, uh, you, know, you know, it was what draw me, drew me to the Marine Corps was the structure and the discipline because I lacked both. But what has always intrigued me is how I knew to do that. What, what, what was it in me that I saw, but I think I had just identified it for you guys, is that I recognized that I needed structure and discipline and just went ahead with my gut and did what I, what I should. Mm-hmm. Hey, Art, this is Richie. Um, hey, Rich. So quick question. I really I want to challenge on that, and I don't know the answer. I just want to challenge you to see if it – was it really structure? Do you really think that the Air Force has no structure? Or was it the, that you think he triggered, he might have knew a little bit about you were in the middle of nowhere, you were abandoned, like, I'm going to help you be a man, and specifically went after that. And because, I mean, they're both competing at the time for people to come in. I guarantee you the Air Force has structure too. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, that isn't, for me, it wasn't the point. The point for me was is that I, I really needed somebody to hold me uh, accountable. And I knew that either branch would do that. But, you know, when you're 17 and you see those dress blues and you had heard the stories about Marines on Iwo Jima, uh, I've always been a history buff and read a lot. I'm a, I read incessantly. And, uh, you know, when you read about, you know, how the Marines operate, that's what I think attracted me to it because I wanted to be, I think there's another part of it was, is that I felt very inferior to everybody around me, to the kids in school, because they had the structure and parents. And, you know, I went to my 50th reunion a few years back and one of the kids came to me and said, man, we all wanted to be you because you could do what you want. <laughs> you wanted, mm-hmm. you had no, nobody do it. And I said, Funny, I wanted to be like you because you had parents that told you, you know, go to college and get a get a degree and study every night and mm. do that, you know. And I didn't have that, so you know that it's very interesting and complex, really, when you think about it. So, um, yeah. but I I knew the Air Force had structure. I just think the Marine Corps, and I think you are very correct when you said that he he had prior knowledge. He knew my brother. He knew what we had gone through. I think that he knew the button to push because I turned around, went into the Air Force office and tore my papers up when I was signed up in the Marine Corps, hmm. left, left two weeks later. So you ended up being deployed to Vietnam. Did, did you actually see front line? I mean, were, you, were you in battle or like I, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. So what take, take us through – uh, just a, a little bit here of the Vietnam experience for you in terms of being in, in, the, in the Marines. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I was uh, a machine gunner, so I saw action. But at the time, you got to remember, Vietnam was just starting. And I actually consider myself very fortunate that I was there when I, could, when I was there, because I think later on it became more warfare, warfare type things where we were hit and miss, hit and search. Uh, but I ended up with a CAC unit, which is a combined action company. And it's where uh, 12 Marines live in a village with uh, 20 PF's popular forces. And we do uh, 
charity work, you know, healthcare, all kinds of things, which really was very attractive to me because I can tell you the story about how I met a, a little girl in an orphanage that just um, just captured my heart. Mm-hmm. And I had asked our commander if we could have uh, the orphanage come into our compound for uh, Thanksgiving dinner, if you want to call Thanksgiving dinner dinner. But anyway, if they could come in, and I have, uh, and after a bunch of red tape, I we got it approved, and it was really, really great uh, to see all the Marines interacting with these kids at a different level than we had ever had before, even though we were in the village and all that, but. Anyway, there was this one little girl, her name was Yoon, and uh, she became very close to me. And how I had found out about the orphanage, one night we were coming off a patrol and had come around a a shanty in this little village. And when we came around it, uh, my eyes caught the eyes of this little girl with her hands through chicken wire looking up at me. And I swear to God to you, my thought was, Oh my God, there I am at nine years old, mm. just feel, feeling abandoned. So when we got back to our command, uh, command post, or, uh, I went in and asked uh, the chaplain, because he had just happened to be there, if we could arrange this uh, kids to come in, and he arranged it. And uh, after a year, uh, I wrote home to my parents and asked them if they would take all the money out of my savings account and buy her uh, clothes and toothbrush and underwear and all that and uh it just it mushroomed because a lot of the other marines did the same thing that i was doing and we kind of all got very close to these kids and we started uh supplying uh clothes and books and all kinds of things uh, that they needed to to help educate them and and, uh you know the marine corps loved it because it fit into their pacification program Mm -hmm. but uh but we got very attached. And I went to the chaplain when I was coming home and asked if I could adopt her and bring her home. And of course, the Marine Corps said, absolutely not. We're not letting an 18-year-old single Marine bring a, a nine-year-old Vietnamese girl home. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, uh, I, I came home and I kept supporting her. And I got out of the Marine Corps in 68. And uh, in the beginning of... of uh, 68, I got a, uh, a letter from Father Boltz, and uh, Father Boltz said, you can stop sending the money uh, during the Tet Offensive. The orphanage was overrun, and uh, the kids were all lost uh, in a crossfire. Oh, so I've never known whether, it, it's you know, you talk about bucket lists, but mine is to someday go back and see if I can, you know, even locate uh where she Maybe, might yeah. have been, yeah, or anything, you know, just just for kind of closure and all that. But yep. but that 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 was my Vietnam story. I, you know, I, I'm very proud that I served, and I'm really honored that I was able to help people. And um, you know, you you know, warfare is uh, or wartime, however you want to call it, is really stressful on people. And as we see now with the PTSD and all that coming back from that and the PTSD that came back from Vietnam, I think it's how you deal with what you have at the time and what your expectations are, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, Because we can either make lemon, you know, what do they say, make uh, 
lemonade out of lemons, or you can let it just taint you, you know? And warfare does that. Either you you find things to do that, that make it more worthwhile than just going out and killing people and, you know, overrunning villages and, you know, chasing, you know, the bad guy around. But, you know, I think you always have to, I think the same with police officers, firefighters, it's important for them to have activities that help people in other, other ways than just, you know, because we see it more and more now where the police and the firemen are more civically involved yeah. than they were in, in the 60s and 70s. And I think it's good for them yeah. because I think it, it helps you through it. So let me let me ask you this. I mean, obviously you've been out of the uh, out of the Marine Corps for a number of years, and you've been I mean, you've had a pretty interesting career in baseball and in the entertainment field, and so on and so forth. And you know, now your your work is really focused on helping people, uh, individuals, and of course, uh, you know, business folk as well. Uh, really, just try to bridge the gap between expectations and and achievements let let me ask you this because part of what i what i personally struggle with is this whole concept of kind of want versus need and i guess we can call it expectation versus achievement uh just probably a million different ways that we could paraphrase what, what it is that you focus on, but uh, taking it into like a practical conversation, part of what my, my personal struggle with is that there is an expectation to, to do more. Like of myself, I have this expectation that I want to do more, right? And on the surface, if people look at, at what I've done and what I continue to do, they'll think like, oh man, you know, this guy's doing so much. And I'm, I feel like I'm just operating at just a, a fraction of my abilities and a fraction of my potential, right? And then what I struggle with, though, is the fact that in order to do more, I literally have to do more, right? And so it's a matter of why should I do more when I don't want more and I don't need more. And so there's this push me pull you of the expectations I have for myself and the achievements that I've been able to to accomplish and bring to fruition. And so I guess what I'm I'm wondering is because I know you work with a lot of folks on this, what what do you see then as that connection between people's expectations and their achievements and what what would you run how would you run me through the ringer as far as that goes? Well, I, I say that you have a very good handle on your expectations because people who who don't achieve have lowered their expectations to the point where they they just give up or they just quit doing what they're doing and they just kind of float around or they let the expectations of others. What you've done is identified the things that are important to you. And I know that you're very wealth oriented. I mean, you like to create wealth. You find great satisfaction in it. Your expectation is to create that and help others create that. Mm -hmm. So that is a driving force in you. I know that I know that your family is important to you. I think you've set your expectations high and and the, the higher that you achieve, 
the greater you keep stepping up your expectation to achieve more. I just had the conversation with Dave Hollis, Rachel Hollis's husband, sure. who left who left Disney after many years was president of the motion picture division, Lucasfilms, Pixar, all that. We had this very same con- conversation because people always, um, well, the media, Variety and all those magazines got after him and on him about leaving this, what everyone else in the world considers the best job, working mm-hmm. for Disney Studios, president of the sales division. What more could you want, Dave? What more? Well, you know what know what Dave wanted? Hmm. The personal satisfaction of knowing his own potential to do and create more. And this, everything prior to that was a step for him to step higher into what his uh, role is with Hollis Company, CEO of Hollis Company now. And boy, they're going to do some great things because they keep stepping their expectations. Once they achieve, they set the expectation higher and they go. That's why athletes become, professional athletes become so proficient at their sport. They, when I work with athletes, it is a pure, pure pleasure. They already have a very good handle on how expectations work. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they incrementally chain, uh, train. So they achieve and then they step it up and achieve more. And pretty soon... They're going from running 11 second 100 to a 10 second 100 to a 9, 800. And they know incrementally that if they keep doing that, you know, swimmers, it doesn't matter what sport you're in. You know, you know that if you incrementally set your expectations and achievements that you'll and you keep setting them higher, you're going to keep your performance is going to meet it every single time. And the same goes for business. The same goes for your relationships and your family, everything. But people believe what they're what they hear out in the market about don't expect. I have therapists that I get furious with because they tell their clients, don't expect. I tell them it's impossible not to expect and survive. Because if you don't expect, you're never going to achieve. And you, you just become flat. Mm-hmm. It's used. It's used by salespeople. Remember the fear of loss. Remember how they used to say, "If you don't come in and buy this car today, oh, somebody else is going to get it." That's the fear of loss. You know, the expectation that the car is going to be gone tomorrow. You better buy it today. I'm going to charge you X number of dollars, and that's the best price I can go. You know, it, I mean, it, it goes into churches. If you don't tithe, God is not going to love you. Well, you know, I just can't believe that. I just can't believe that God is going to believe me because I don't tithe. I mean, government, look at the government expectations that are are put on people. And it's used as a control mechanism because once you have the masses under your control, you control them. Mm -hmm. That's, Mm -hmm. that's That's why people use expectations. That's why you hear it in advertising. Just listen to some of the advertising. Buick right now, exceeding expectations. I'd like to think that I'm the one that started the whole thing, but I know it's not true. Mm -hmm. But the the advertising industry has really gotten on board with this exceeding expectations or meeting expectations. Just listen to the advertisements today and see how many are that way. Where before, you never heard the word expectations, never heard about it because Mm -hmm. 
you know, they had, they, they knew they could control it. Now they're using positive expectations to try and control the, you know, the marketplace and all that. So, mm-hmm. so I, I mean, and to that end, what, what's the difference between setting an expectation or achievements and just like good old fashioned goal setting? Expectations are deeper. They're, they're more in your uh, subconscious psyche than, than just setting a goal. You know, people write down goals. A part of what I teach in expectation therapy is, you know, one of the first step is to identify, the second is to clarify, and the third is to solidify with a written plan. So, you know, the only difference in it is but really changing your core expectations to, uh, to better yourself, to, to create this uh, doesn't really matter. The, mm-hmm. the vernacular is is really not the important thing to me. But what's important is getting people aware and mindful of how they expect. I always tell people quite often when we're talking, it's not so much what you expect as it is how you expect. Because we see our expectations through two lenses, either faith or fear. Faith, we can get through anything. Fear stops everything. So, but faith... People cringe sometimes when, I, when I'm talking to audiences. I can see the people cringe because they immediately think, uh-oh, religion, here comes the religion. Faith is not only about religion. Faith could be in a coach, could be in your parents, but the strongest faith is in yourself. And it's the seed that God planted in each and every man to succeed and to grow. That's the seed. That's my belief that God put in every man, woman, and child the seed of expectation, so they can grow. It's when you let others diminish those expectations that they start controlling you, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. So learn to manage your expectations. Manage them, you will lead a life. I'm living proof. You, you talk about all the things that I've done. You know why I've been able to do that? Mm-hmm. Because I, since I was nine years old, I had faith in myself. I had faith in my God. I had faith that no matter what happened to me, it, everything was meant to teach me a lesson, to step me up always. So I wasn't afraid to leave a, a great career and go into the entertainment. Was I wasn't afraid to leave, you know, uh, in college, you know, starting rock, uh, managing rock and roll bands in San Diego because I went to San Diego State. Mm. And, uh, you know, I mean, everything I've ever done, I've done with this expectation that, it's meant to teach me, and it's only moving me forward. I'm 70, I'll be 72 August 26th, and I am not going to slow down. The only way they're ever going to slow me down is when they put dirt over me. Mm-hmm. You know, Then I'll slow down, and then I'll probably still be trying to figure a way to get out. Yeah. Yeah, what's that, Mary? You're, you're, you're... No, so what I was thinking is when you're I, – I love the – the idea of the expectation, and I understand the core expectation. So it's an inspired, deeper, emotional expectation towards something you want to create in your life. But then what do you say to people who say, well, whenever I have an expectation, I get let down? Are we putting control in other people's hands? Absolutely. They've already surrendered. You know, and and that's the person that I love to sit and talk to about why their expectations matter and how they expect is really paramount for their success. Because think about it. 
if, if you if I mean if you do not if you do not expect how can you move forward? Every single thing we do, every movement we take is based in expectation. We just they're so common and organic in us that we don't even realize it's about becoming mindful and aware of how you think. That's what why expectations are so important and your core expectation are important, integrity, uh, faith, hope, all of those core expectations. That's why they're so important because it's what propels us forward. But becoming mindful of and aware of them is what propels us to keep going. Just like Steve talked about, every time he achieves, he sets a higher expectation. Always want more. When I was in college, uh, we used to have a professor that came in every day and he would write on the board, want less, in big letters. Honest, this is a true story. Mm. Would write on the board, want less. I challenged him. I, I can't tell you how many times I challenged him on, why do you want people to want less? Well, what he was talking about was want material things less. Don't want the big cars. Don't don't be going after a college education because you want to get rich. Do it because you want to, uh, you know, you want to fulfill something in yourself or a need that you have. But pe- a lot of the kids in the class were thinking, oh yeah, you know that works for me. You know I can sit back and smoke a joint and want less. That hey, it's cool. You know, and all that stuff. Well, that's not what he was talking about. And people misinterpret a lot of, of what their expectations are, especially when it's from other people, because it's not theirs. And that's why your core expectation is so important. Because once you're focused on it and know what it is, then you know what you want and then you can go after it. I've done it all my life. I've transformed and reinvented myself so many darn times that, that it's, you know, I mean, when my wife died in 2006 of ovarian cancer, I went back out on the lawn. Three years later, I went back out on the lawn because I was drinking myself silly and acting like a fool and a jerk and laid on my back and had that conversation with the universe again and asked God what was going to become of me. And I heard, get up. I've given you all the tools. Just go use them. And that's what the key was for me for turning my life around through that traumatic experience of being married to the love of my life for 35 years and, and then opening up my whole life to, to the possibility of getting married again, now married to the most beautiful, wonderful woman in the world who I love. I wouldn't have been open to those had I stayed in that space of drinking and just being out. I'd probably be dead now, really, because, I mean, it's 12 years ago, and I just wouldn't have, I don't think I could have survived that lifestyle for 12 more years. You know, your heart can't take it, and your body can't take it. and uh, You know, it, I've transformed and reinvented so many times, and that's how... After that experience at the ranch, you know, a year later, I was writing expectation therapy because I started reflecting on my life and I got in front of a a computer and learned how to use it and started really writing and using, you know, a new set of skills and just going and trying and doing and learning, always learning, learning, learning all the time. So, you know, that's that's how I operate. I'm I'm an avid learner. Yeah. Not totally Go ahead, Richie. Yeah, Art, I was going to say there was something interesting you said. Well, a few things you said that were interesting there, but one specifically was more 
I hear a lot of mantras coming out of you, the way you talk to yourself. So it's more of a how, and I think you actually said this at some point, it's how you expect things more than what you expect. And um, I'm interested in hearing just a little bit more about that because I think that's where the real resilience lies is we're the only ones that are with ourselves all the time other than those of us that believe in God. And um, so, like, it has to be what you're saying because Elon Musk never expected a Tesla probably, you know, Zuckerberg probably never expected a Facebook, but it grew into that, but they expected more of themselves. And, and so in this how component, what would, you, what would you give a technique or something that someone could do that they could walk away with today and actually uh, be able to do this now? So what, how I start people out on this journey is find, uh, you know, we all have this place that's comfortable. Mine was on top of a, a mountain talking to God and the universe or whatever you want to call it, talking to myself. Uh, I encourage people to really deep dive into their own soul and have this conversation with themselves, have this conversation with God if you believe in God. And just, just let, just let it flow. It's inside of it. All of us. This, what we want is 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 right there, down deep inside of us. We just have to go in and learn how to not only expect it, but how to start moving forward and bring it, bringing it to fruition. How to make it happen. And, you know, for some people, it may be easy. For some people, it's hard. I mean, I've gone with people that I've worked with. Some have been able to do it in, in one session. Some people, it takes, you know, five, six sessions. And then I have people that can't ever get into their own head or, or mind and dig down inside of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, you can't save everybody, but I sure try hard. And, uh, you know, I've had people come back a year, two years uh, later and say, you know, I finally did it. I finally got there. And then we start moving forward from that. I don't know if it's explaining how, but that's that's the first step to getting there. You just have to go into and really figure out what it is that is so important to you that you're willing to go and take that next step and start creating. Mm-hmm. You know, for some, it's it's so, I guess the reason is just because it's so varied for so many different people. I don't know that I've ever had, oh, I'm trying to think after, I mean, I guess I have, because I think about, I have people come to me that want a better relationship with their husband or their wife, and will go deep dive into really what they want. Some people find out they really don't want that man or that woman, and they end up divorcing, you know, and I feel terrible about it, but, you know, sometimes it's best, but uh, you have to get to that point where you can really figure out what is so important to you that you would, as we say here in Texas, take a bullet for it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, that that's where you got to start. Yeah. No, it's really, really good stuff, man. So, if people want more information uh, about you and all the work that you're up to in the world, where's uh, where's the best place for them to start? Expectationtherapy.com. Uh, 
my online course is there, how you can get a hold of me, uh, art at expectationtherapy.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm all over social media uh, on all the platforms. And uh, just text me or just email me or yep. however, however you want to get a hold of me. I'm, I'm always accessible. I answer everything. Yep. No, I appreciate that, man. And, uh, of course we appreciate you and appreciate your service to, uh, to our country. Well, seems like a, a lifetime ago, I'm sure for you, man, but it's, uh, it's definitely appreciated that you stepped up to do that and, uh, certainly appreciate the work that you're, you're doing now as well and look forward to seeing you soon. Are you, uh, are you coming to, uh, the next new media summit, man, or what, uh, what, what's your, what's your plan around that? No, I'm not making this one, but I'll be in San Diego. All right, sweet. Then we will see you in September in San Diego for the next New Media Summit. And really do, again, appreciate your art. Costello joining us here on Reinvention Radio. Uh, And if you want to come hang out with all of us at uh, September's New Media Summit, February's New Media Summit is completely sold out. Uh, but if you want to hang out with us in September, just keep an eye on newmediasummit.net for when we release details on tickets for September's event. But I can tell you it'll be September 16th through the 18th. Yes, Wade. And I just want to say to build on what Art was talking about, uh-huh. go get Go With Your Gut by Mary <laughs> Goulet. Hey, I've heard it's a really good book. There point. you go. And I believe it can help you with the same kind of you know process. All right. There you have it. All right, my friends, really great chatting with you here today on Reinvention Radio. For Mary Goulet, Richie Otewai-Wade, and Kelly Pelker, I'm Steve Olsher, and we'll talk to you next time here on Reinvention Radio. Take care. were born to do one amazing thing, but most people spend a lifetime trying to identify what it is. If you're at a job you don't like or are unemployed, if you're in a state of transition or just can't shake that nagging feeling that you were meant and made to do something extraordinary, the Reinvention Workshop is exactly what you need. Led by award-winning self-help author Steve Ulcher, the Reinvention Workshop will forever change your life. The Reinvention Workshop takes you step-by-step through Steve's proven formula that has helped so many get on the right path and be clear about what they were born to do. Take the first step for realizing the life you deserve and desire by visiting TheReinventionWorkshop.com today. No more delays, no more denial. Reconnect with your true self. Learn to live with purpose and conviction and become who you were born to be. The world is waiting for you. What are you waiting for? Log on to TheReinventionWorkshop.com That's TheReinventionWorkshop.com 